chapter number five. Romans chapter number five. It always makes me a little bit intimidated when I stand behind a smaller pulpit uh, because I'm not sure that this particle board is bulletproof as the other one is, you know. Uh, that bigger one, I feel like it might stop a bullet, but I'm not sure about this old particle board junk, but uh, we'll just trust the Lord for it anyway. Romans chapter 5, when you get there, let's go ahead and stand together in honor the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to read down through about five verses. We'll pray and let you be seated. Romans chapter number 5. Pick up in verse number 1. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Let's stop there and let's pray together. Lord, I do thank you for the privilege of being here today. What a blessing it is to be back in your house with your people. And Father, I pray that even now we'd set aside the cares of life, Lord, things on our mind for after the service, maybe even things we brought with us today. Help us set them aside just for a few moments that we might receive the message that you have undoubtedly sent to us. Lord, you knew who was going to be here. You know what we need. And Father, I believe you've sent what we need. And I pray your Holy Spirit would have free reign this morning. Lord, help us be willing to not only receive it, but respond to your word today. I pray that someone that's lost, Lord, on their way to hell right now will be saved today before it's too late. And for the saved, help us be challenged to be more like you, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> in August of 1958, there was a Nebraska bookstore owner by the name of Clifton Hillgrass. He met a man by the name of Jack Cole, and Jack Cole was a Canadian bookstore owner. Now, uh, Mr. Hillgrass, Clifton Hillgrass, lived in America, but Mr. Cole lived in Canada. And they were talking about what they were doing to make sure business was what it ought to be and how to make more money. And Mr. Cole told Mr. Hillegrass, he says, well, what I do is I produce selling guides. He was owner of the Cole's bookstore. They were known as the book people. And what they would do is they would have scholars read books. They would have smart people read books and then take and condense those books down into just a few pages and a smaller version to help people know how to study. Uh, now, I think that was probably their original intention but it turned out that they were often used to read as a substitute to reading books. Mr. Clifton Hillegrass decided, you know what, there was not any of those in America, and so he was going to develop his own, and thus was born what many of you who have been to college, maybe even in high school, know as Cliff's Notes. Amen. Cliff's Notes are those little small booklets that you read when you have procrastinated and don't have time to read the actual book that you were supposed to read for school. And so you go to Books A Million or whatever bookstore it is, maybe on Amazon, and you order those yellow copies of Cliff's Notes. Someone else has already read the book for you, and now they've condensed it down to a small version that might help you get a passing grade before uh, the test comes around. Now, as I'm reading the book of Romans, I look at the book of Romans a lot of times like Cliff's Notes. It's amazing as you read through all of the chapters in Romans, you'll find just about everything you need to know about Christian doctrine. You start in Romans chapter number one, you'll find the corruption of man, a man trying to do it on his own, trying to figure out his own righteousness outside of God, and he's ignored God. When they knew God, the Bible says they glorified him not as God, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
We see man becoming condemned because of his corruption. You keep reading, sooner or later we see the need for Christ. Thank God that we see Christ showing up in the midst of our condemnation. You keep on reading in the book of Romans, after the conversion of man, you begin to see Christian character showing up. I love the fact that God saves us, doesn't leave us alone, but then he wants us to become sanctified and separated, and you find that all throughout the book of Romans. Now, here's what's amazing. If you sum it up, you can sum it up in these three words. Romans explains the journey from fall to faith to fruit. All right, the fall of man, our faith in Christ, and then how we can have fruit later on. I honestly believe you can read the book of Romans and get the picture of what it's all about. Now, here's what's particularly applicable this morning. Every book in the Word of God, I believe, is inspired. Every book that is in here is needful. God wanted us to have that. But when you read the context of who the Apostle Paul was writing to in Rome, you'll understand why this particular book was of particular importance and need in their life. Here's what's going on. Two to three years before this book was written, a narcissistic teenager, I know that you probably don't believe that those exist, but they do, a narcissistic teenager would become the emperor, a 16-year-old by the name of Nero. Now, this is who Paul is writing to. They have a, can you imagine, listen, I get scared when a teenager drives a car. You should too. I know some of our teenagers, and they're good, they're good but coordination is a lost art in America today. We, listen, I lived at a youth camp for years. I love you guys, okay? I love our teenagers, but look, uh, we had to simplify the games over the years. Why? Coordination is a lost art. It doesn't exist anymore. And then you give a 2,000-pound missile with a steering wheel to them. Man, that just scares me to death. A teenager will text me, Brother Andrews, want you to know I got my license today. I, listen, we need a website where they can start reporting where they're going to be, where we know that we don't want to be there. Teenagers reported in this area. We're going to stay away from that area today. Maybe a map, you know, uh, that shows little cars on it. We won't know what roads to stay away from. Listen, I get scared when teenagers drive, and I'm sure that the adults were afraid when I drove as well, okay? I'll admit it. But can you imagine a teenager becoming the emperor of an entire nation of people? And not only that, he's not a godly teenager. He's a narcissistic psychopath. And right now, as Paul is writing this, all is well. All is well. But in just a few short years, Rome will burn to the ground. In just a few short years. All of a sudden, Nero needs a scapegoat. Things begin to turn south for Christians. Why? Because he needs to blame it on somebody and starts blaming it on the Christians. As Rome burns, Christians are blamed, and a historian put it this way In their very death, speaking of Christians, they were made the subjects of sport. For they were covered with the hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs. They were nailed to crosses and even set on fire. When the day waned, they were dipped in oil, suspended above the court, and burned as lights to serve for chariot races. Now this is who is leading this country, this psychopathic young man, this teenager, and he's about to put Christians through an immense amount of persecution. Now, here's what I think about. As these Roman Christians are going through this persecution later on, I try to imagine what would I have done. If I had lived in Rome during this time where Christians were being arrested and persecuted and made the objects of sport, 
and being suspended all around Nero's chariot tracks, dipped in oil and lit on fire so that they could be the streetlights for the races, I try to imagine, what would I do as a Christian during this day and age? I tell you, I hope what I would have done is open up the Word of God and figure out what would God have me to do. And lo and behold, there's a book, there's a letter been written to the church at Rome. And what's amazing is as they began to go through this letter, they began to see that God has already supplied everything they need for what they were going to go through before they ever went through it. You see, that's the omniscience of God. God knows what we are going to go through tomorrow. And I promise you, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If you do know what's going to happen tomorrow, you and I need to go buy a lotto ticket, okay? You No, I'm just kidding, all right? You go buy yours and just make sure you tithe off of it. I'm not going to go buy one. If you knew what was going to happen tomorrow, you'd prepare for it, but we don't know. The Bible says we know not what a day is going to bring. We don't know, but God does. And God has preserved for us in his word everything we're going to need to go through whatever we're going to go through, even things we don't even know about. So here's Rome. These people are about to go through this. They have no idea, and yet God has written them this wonderful letter that's going to supply all of their needs as they go through it. Now, watch chapter number five. I want to show you something I've never seen before, never really preached on this subject before. The Apostle Paul begins making some bold statements. Watch, the Apostle Paul doesn't sound like someone who's scared or frightened or panicked. I want you to watch some in particular as we read together. Verse one, watch. Therefore, being justified by faith, watch this. We have peace. We have peace. I keep reading. The Bible says, verse 2, by whom also we have access. Keep reading, verse number 2, the Bible says, wherein we stand. Verse 3, and not not only so, but we glory. It's amazing, as you read these verses, he says, we have peace. He says, we have access. He says, we glory. In verse 2, he says, we stand. He doesn't sound too defeated, does he? Here's the Apostle Paul who knew what trouble was like, and yet the Apostle Paul, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God, is showing them all the confidence that they should have. Why? Because they are in Christ. What does verse 1 say? The Bible says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul found the confidence to do the will of God in spite of his circumstance, all because his confidence was in Christ. Do you know why I get scared? It's not often that I get scared, but I do get scared from time to time. Let's just be honest, okay? Uh, I mean, my wife, she gets a look in her eyes sometimes I think would scare any man. And Sometimes I get afraid. Why? Because all of a sudden, I'm not very confident in myself. Look, I found out she grew up with, all, with, with, with a brother. She didn't have any sisters. She grew up with a brother and all male cousins until she was 18. She had to be tough. And she learned how to back them down. And I learned real quick, she knows how to back me down already without even knowing me. Sometimes she scares me. Why? Because watch, she can overwhelm me. I don't have much confidence in myself. That's why we fear. That's why we doubt. That's why we worry. Because we have confidence in self and we're measuring our circumstances by ourself. And that's why we fear. But Paul says this, watch this, we have peace. He says we have access. He says we stand. He says we glory. Why? Because his confidence was in Christ. 
This morning you could have that kind of confidence if your confidence was in Christ. Now, here's what's amazing. Paul shows them. The letter was written before trouble ever came. And yet Paul shows them how they can have certainty for any circumstance when their confidence was in Christ. Now this morning, I can't put the notes up there, okay, because they wouldn't appear up there. We had baptism scheduled for this morning, but that's not going to happen because you just have to listen to it. You couldn't watch it. It's kind of hard to be a witness of a baptism if you can't see it. And so you're going to have to pay attention this morning as I give you four things right quickly on certainty for any circumstance. Now, here's the whole gist of the message today. I think this message ought to be an incentive to lost people to get saved. Look, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, could I encourage you this morning to trust Christ? Therefore, you could have certainty in any circumstance. And let me tell you, who knows the circumstances of what's coming tomorrow? Two years ago when I moved here, I was all excited, gung-ho, man. Listen, we're going to captain this ship and take the church to where God would have it to go. And all of a sudden, we get gut-punched by COVID. I didn't know what was going to happen through our circumstances, but God did. And his word's given us everything we need to have certainty for any circumstance, but your confidence has got to be in Christ. If you've yet to, listen, trust Christ as your Savior, no wonder you live so uncertainly. I'd be scared too. But if you're saved here this morning, this ought to be an encouragement to you. Why? Because we can have certainty for any circumstance when our confidence is in Christ. And this morning, I want to show you how you can have that certainty. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you write in your Bibles, but if you do, I'd underline that word justified. It's very important. I remember as my dad went through Bible college, he'd come home and he'd share things with us. And uh, my dad was my Sunday school teacher as a teenager. And uh, one day we were learning about justification. What a big word for a teenager to learn, justification. What does it mean? Remember my dad spelling it out on the dry erase board, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. I can be justified before God. That means that in the eyes of God, through Christ, that when God looks at me, he looks upon me justified, if I've trusted Christ, just as if I'd never sinned. You see, sin separated me from God. I couldn't stand justified. Why? Because there was sin standing between me and God. Sin always separates you from God. But watch this. I stood rejected and condemned, and yet through Christ I have what? Now I have peace with God. I have peace with God. Once I was rejected, and yet now I have peace and I'm accepted of God. Now, this is the first thing you've got to have in order to have cer certainty in any circumstance. Number one, notice the acceptance of God. You've got to have the acceptance of God. You're not going to have certainty in anything until you know you're accepted by the only one that matters, and that's Almighty God. Now watch this. The Apostle Paul understood rejection. If anyone, now I know some of you singles in here, you're probably thinking, oh, the Apostle Paul knows nothing about rejection. No, he did. He did. Watch this. In the first part of his life, he persecuted Christians. All right? And people were afraid of him, and they ran from him. He was rejected of them. And then he gets saved. The Apostle Paul gets saved, and now that group embraces him. They love him. It took a little while to warm up to him. But they embraced him. And then now the people who were his friends, now they reject him. The Apostle Paul can't win for losing. And then even after he became a Christian, there were times that even his friends, Demas, rejected him. 
The Apostle Paul understood all too well about rejection, and yet he had certainty. Why? Because he knew, watch this, he was accepted of God. And no matter who rejects you in this world, if you know that you're accepted by the only one that matters, you can have certainty in whatever you're doing. Knowing that Almighty God has accepted you, you have peace with God. Folks, I'll tell you something. That's something you ought to to be about today. Can I ask you, have you been accepted of God? Have you been accepted of God? Do you know for sure that if you died right now that you're going to heaven? You can know that. You can have peace with God this morning. Why? Because of what verse 1 says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Although he lived in conflict, he had peace. Why? Because he was accepted of the only one that mattered. I was in the barber shop this week, sitting there in the chair. The lady's talking with me, talking to her about church, inviting her to church. And uh, during the conversation, she says, could I ask you a question? I said, sure. She says, have you ever tried active? I said, I try to be active. She says, no, have you ever tried active? I said, is that like, is that, what is active? She says, and I wrote it down, active is our hair recovery and thickening product. I did get a feedback request in my email. Have you ever tried that? You know, she had a bird's eye view. You don't get to see that. That's why platforms are raised, because most preachers are going bald, and they don't want anybody to see that. So we're up here, so you can't see down on top until somebody takes a baptistry picture and posts it on Facebook. (laughs) Have you ever tried active? I said, what is that? She told me it was a hair regrow thing, and I said, look, I've tried a lot of stuff. I feel like Ricky Ricardo when when, when Lucy was trying to help him get his hair to grow back. You know, the mustard and the mayonnaise and the goat's milk and all this, stand on your head and the moonlight and all of that. I think I've tried just about everything to get my hair to grow back together, and it hasn't worked. She said, well, this stuff works. I says, look, I, I might try it one day. Here's what I told her. I said, my wife is really the only one that matters. No, I wasn't being mean to her at all. I said, my wife is really the only one that matters, and if she's okay with it, then I'm okay with it. You know, if my wife says, hey, I like it to shine up there, buddy, we're going to break out the buffer and some turtle wax. We're going to get it looking good. Why? She's the only one that matters. Can you imagine how frazzled I would be if I walked up and down the streets of Hattiesburg worrying and concerned about what everybody thought about my head? Can you imagine how how bothered I... Listen, my brain would be fried if I worried about everybody's opinion that everybody accepted my luscious locks or lack thereof on my head. But I'll tell you something. I walk around Hattiesburg with peace. I go on about my business. I go to Walmart, walk around Walmart. Listen, I go out to eat. I drive my wife around. Our anniversary was this past week. We went out to eat. Man, we had a great old time. I didn't worry about anybody else had to say. I live my life with peace and certainty. Why? Because the only one that matters about my looks is my wife. And if she's okay with it, then everybody else can do whatever. Look, could be worse. Could be worse. I can always buy a toupee. Some of you were born ugly and you're stuck that way. I'm just kidding. Look, do you know why so many Christians walk around so uncertainty and frazzled and burnt out? It's because you're worried about the acceptance of everybody else, and you're not worried about being accepted by the only one that matters, which is God. 
The Apostle Paul was able to serve God through countless rejections. Rejected by his friends, rejected by his enemies. What did he say? In perils of my countrymen. The Apostle Paul was constantly being rejected, and yet he served with certainty. Why? Because he knew that he had the acceptance of the only one that matters, and that was God. Oh, you'd be amazed at how much peace you'd have in your life if that was the only acceptance you worried about. I want to be accepted of him. I want to be approved of God. Imagine how frazzled I would be in my life if I worried about every opinion or hate email or text that came in. Look, I don't like it. It doesn't make me feel good. But folks, can I tell you something? What makes you preach the word of God, the whole counsel of God, the way the word of God would have you to preach it and the will of God would have you to preach it is focused on one thing and that's the acceptance of God. I hope you like it, all right? I'm being honest with you. I hope you like it. I hope it does something for you. But in the end, I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please God. And watch this. Even if you don't like it, everybody's going to leave here, not come back tonight. Oh, that would hurt. It would sting. It's happened since I've been here. Man, I'm not coming back to that place. I was even called a cult leader last week. You didn't know that, did you? You have a cult leader for a pastor. You know, if I let all that bother me, I wouldn't do much for God. But you know what gives me certainty? Knowing, number one, that I have the acceptance of God. The truth is, notice Paul says, I have peace with God. He says, I have peace with God. Now, here's the truth. You have to choose who you're going to be at peace with. You've got to choose that. You've got to decide, are you going to be at peace with him? Or are you going to be at peace with them? And here's what you say, like most of the ecumenical pastors today. I'm going to have peace with both of them. Well, that sounds really nice. But let me read something for you in James chapter 4, verse 4. The adulterers and adulteresses. Politically incorrect, but true. What's an adulterer and adulteress? Somebody who's cheating. Isn't that right? Somebody who's cheating? Somebody who's an adulterer, adulteress? They're, why did he call them? Why did God pick the words adulterers and adulteresses? He says, look, you're cheating. Why? Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? I didn't write this. I promise you. Look it up. It's in there. Open it up every once in a while. You'll see. It's in here. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The enemy of God. What does that mean? It means you've got to choose who you're going to be at peace with. Now, can I tell you, look, it's not an easy battle. I don't like it. I don't like it when I come home with a bad attitude because somebody didn't accept something that I had to say that was in God's word, and then I come home with a bad attitude to make my wife have a bad attitude. Then my wife has a bad attitude, and my daughter gets a bad attitude, and our whole house has a bad attitude. Why? Because somebody didn't accept me. But, oh, there's peace knowing that you do the will of God the way God told you, and you're accepted of him. You're accepted of him. Now, here's what's sad. Oftentimes, the reasons Christians don't have any certainty in their life is they're seeking to fit in a world and be accepted by a world that you don't belong to. I didn't bring it out here. I had it in my de- in my room, in my office, but I didn't bring it. You remember when you were kids, or maybe your kids were kids, they had those little shaped sorter toys? They were shaped like an octagon or a square, and they had triangles and squares and circles and stars. And you had the little blocks, and you're teaching your kids to match things up, right? And so the star goes in the star hole. Very good. All right, we're getting it now. And the circle goes in. Coordination's not lost. This one of our kids, is it? And the circle goes in the circle hole. Very good. And the square in the square, and the triangle in the triangle, okay? So watch this. The square accepts the square peg. The star accepts the star peg. The circle accepts the circle peg. Now, you take that star. Look, I'm not joking. 
At about 10, 15 this morning, I'm back in my office playing with a shape sorter. I'm not joking. If you'd have walked in there, I'd have been so embarrassed. I'm sitting there making sure my theory is correct. You take that star and you try to fit it in the circle hole, it doesn't accept it. It doesn't fit there. And you can sit there and you can turn it and flip it and turn it and flip it. It's just not going to accept it. Why? It doesn't belong there. The star cannot be accepted by the circle. Now, can I make it work? Absolutely. What's this? I can take out my pocket knife and shave off all of those points of the star and make it fit into the circle. But watch this. It's not going to fit into the circle as is. Why? Because conformity always costs character. All right? In order for the star to fit in the circle, the star is going to have to leave behind everything that made it a star in order to become a circle. And then finally, the star is accepted of the circle, but it's not a circle, a star anymore. Now, understand this morning. Look, so many of us are so frazzled and we're worried and we're running about why we're trying to please them and please them. We're just wanting to be accepted, even in churches today, but it's costing us our character. Look, you can fit into the world, but it's going to cost you everything that makes you to be a Christian and looks to be a Christian. Is your soul saved? Yeah. But those identifying markers that make you who God called you to be, you're going to have to leave them behind to fit into what this world calls acceptable. Now, here's the sad thing is, this one doesn't matter. We work and we fret and we worry so much about being accepted by this world when in the end, this one's passing away. All the while, we're ignoring the only one that matters, and that's being accepted by God. Oh, folks, this morning, if we get a hold of this, peace results from being accepted of God. Peace does not result of being accepted by the world. You say, well, you know what? Uh, they don't, they're not mad at me anymore. You know what? They like me even more. But in the exercise to have the peace of the world, you did away with peace from God. And the peace from God is not the peace that the world gives. See, the peace that the world gives is not going to last very long. Acts chapter number 5, we read about the disciples when they were imprisoned. The Bible says they were charged not to preach the word of God anymore. Wait a minute, you guys are trying to do that. You're not fitting in down here. We don't accept that. We don't accept that. And so they put them in prison. God let them out of prison. What did they do? They went right back to preaching. And then here comes the guys that arrested them. Hey, where do these guys go? And they're in the synagogue preaching again. And they come up and they say, guys, didn't we tell you, look, if you want to fit in, you can't do that anymore. And what did Peter say in verse 29? We ought to obey God rather than man. Now watch this, watch this. I mean, these people could kill him, arrest him. They could cause a lot of trouble in his life. But why did Peter have so certainty? To look into the eyes of the one who could take your life. And say, we ought to obey God rather than man. You see, he had certainty because he knew he was being accepted of God. We ought to obey God rather than man. And he had certainty about what he was doing, even though it meant he was not accepted of this world. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, I think about those three Hebrew boys often. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. What did they tell Nebuchadnezzar? The guy who's threatened to throw them in the fiery furnace. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. You know what that means? We're certain. We're certain. Look, look, I'm not saying they were looking forward to being barbecued. You know, I hate when I burn myself getting a hot pocket out of the oven, okay? I don't, I don't look forward to being thrown into a fiery furnace. They says we're not careful. We want you to know we're certain about what we're doing. Why? Because they knew they were pleasing God. 
Oh, you could have peace in your life. You wouldn't have to worry about pleasing this group and this crowd and what they like and fitting in and being acceptable to them if you just focused on being accepted of God. And now here's the Romans. They have no idea what they're in for. Some of the people that are reading this letter will be strung up and burned alive all for the sport of Nero. And oh, they're going to need something that gets them through those difficult times. And what will get them through, number one, is the acceptance of God. You could serve with certainty in any circumstance if you just had the acceptance of God. I promise you, it's sufficient enough. Many years ago, we were in Disney World. We had a reservation at Cinderella's Castle. All right, and we're going to go up there and eat some prime rib. And I'm sure my wife had chicken nuggets because that's what she always has. We're going to the royal table to eat chicken nuggets, you know. We could do that at the Golden Arches rather than Cinderella. But, you know, it's what she wanted. That's what she got. And we didn't realize we placed our reservation right during fireworks time. And so in front of the castle, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people lined up to watch the fireworks. And I want you to know they are standing there like linebackers. You're not going to get their real estate. They're like, we got here three hours early, all right? And you're not moving us. And so I have a little baby on one hip. She was in a little stroller, but we couldn't maneuver the stroller. I even tried hitting people in the Achilles, but that didn't move them. So I finally had to put her up on my hip. And I grab the umbrella stroller, and I'm walking through the crowd with an umbrella stroller in my hand. If you looked over the the sea of people, you saw a stroller floating across the top. That was me. As I'm walking through this this, this mob of people, I'm talking about, I got some stank looks for sure. They was looking at me. I mean, who do you think you are? Trying to get through the crowd, get up here to the front of the line, and I'm making my, we had to get all the way to the castle where our reservation was. And I'm having to cut in front of people, walk in front of people. I mean, they were grumbling. They were griping. Some of them just were not moving. They made us go around. But finally, fought through the crowd, got all the way up to the castle, and there stands a wonderful gentleman behind the rope with a clipboard. He says to me, sir, do you have a reservation? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, what's the name? I said, the name is Andrews. He starts flipping through his papers, and he says, There you are. He pulled back his rope. My wife, my daughter, and I walked in, and I'll be honest with you, I couldn't help but glance back one time. (laughs) I went on into the castle. We sat down at the royal table. And, buddy, we had ourselves a good old time. But watch this. I had to fight the crowd to get there. I had to fight the crowd to get there. Can I tell you this morning... As a child of God, you have a reservation. And oh, is it at a royal table? It's good. It's going to be good. But down here in this life, listen, you may have to fight the crowd just a little bit. You might have to get an angry look from time to time. You might get ignored from time to time. You might become an outcast from time to time. But I assure you, when you get to the gate of that castle and it's time for you to enter in and you have that meal at the royal table, it's going to be worth it all that you fought through the crowd to get where God would have you to go. Now, here's the sad thing this morning. Some of you are going to miss out on the meal because you don't want to fight the crowd. You don't want the looks. I don't want to be counted as an outcast. I don't want to be, no, 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 no. I'd rather fit in. And you're going to miss out. Some of you are saved. Listen, and yes, you're going to heaven. You're never going to lose that. But you're going to miss out on what you could have when you get there, all because you don't want to fight the crowd, when in the end, the acceptance of the crowd never mattered. It was the acceptance of the king. That's all that mattered. Paul says, watch this, watch this. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
1888, G. Campbell Morgan was one of 150 young men who applied for the ministerial service in the Wesleyan ministry. He stood in a room on a pulpit that would hold over 1,000 people. There was 150 men going to preach a trial sermon, and three, three unsavory men sat down front judging him on how he did with his preaching. Several days later, in the mail, he received a letter that out of the 150 that had applied, 105 were rejected. And on his paper, it said he was rejected as well. He was downhearted, downtrodden, and wrote this letter to his dad that says, Dad, I feel rejected. Everything seems dark, but he knows best, speaking of God. His dad sent him a telegram back with these short words, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven, dad. Do you know what G. Campbell Morgan, what his dad was telling him? You may not be accepted here. Make sure you're accepted by the only one that matters, and that's God. And if you're living to the acceptance of God and what God says acceptable, listen, the world can think what they want because he's all that matters. Number one, how can you serve with certainty in any circumstance? Number one, make sure you have the acceptance of God. Look at verse two. The Bible says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Now, this is interesting. Paul says, look, make sure you have the acceptance of God. Caesar may not accept you, but make sure you have the acceptance of God. But then he says something else. We have access. Access to what? Well, keep reading. It'll tell you. Access by faith into this grace. If you want to have certainty for any circumstance, number one, be accepted of God. But notice through Christ we have something else. Number two, notice the access of grace. We have the access of grace. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 68, 19, where David says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. There's so much good stuff in there. Listen, it might make some of you even smile if you thought about it long enough. Blessed be the Lord who daily, daily loadeth us. I like when things are loaded up real good with benefits. Now watch closely. The benefit packages of our faith is worth reading into, right? Now, here's what Paul is saying. Paul says, look, there's some benefits that come along with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, you have the acceptance of God. But number two, you have access to grace. I'll tell you something sad this morning. Most of us know what our phones are capable of more than we know what our faith is capable of. Do you know there's a measuring tape on this? Crazy. I saw my wife the other day with her phone up on the wall, I thought she'd flipped. You know, I'm like, honey, we have a TV. You don't have to put that one up there and watch it. We have a big old TV. You can just sit there and watch that. And she had a phone up. There's a level in there. There's a measuring tape. There's a level in there. There's a camera in there. There's a clock in there. And we know all about what our phone can do. But sadly, most of us don't know what our faith can do. And Paul says, watch this. You have acceptance of God, but number two, you have an access to grace. Now, you've got to understand how grace works in order for you to realize how grace gives you certainty. What is grace? I'm going to give you the Jeremiah Andrews definition of grace. Grace is the believer's bridge. Grace is the believer's bridge. What does that mean? Watch. It's only by grace that you get from where you are to where you need to be. Right? What does the Bible say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, verse 9? For by grace are you saved through faith. The Bible says, and that not of yourself. So watch. Here I am as a lost sinner. I want to get over there to heaven. That's where I want to go. I mean, who wants to die and go to hell? I want to go to heaven, but I can't get there. It's not of works. It's not of ourselves. But God built a bridge 
For by grace are you saved through faith. That grace is that bridge that helps me get where I couldn't get on my own. For by the grace of God was I saved. If you're saved here today, you are saved by grace. And then after you get saved, you find the grace of God can do more than just save. He said, well, how do you know that? Well, I'm gonna give you some more verses, okay? My opinion is not worth very much. Ask my wife, so I'm gonna give you scripture, okay? Watch this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number nine. The apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but it was unpleasant. You ever have unpleasant times in your life? Don't feel good? Maybe you went through a trial, persecution. Maybe you're going through a physical ailment. And man, it's a thorn. It doesn't feel good. The Bible says that Paul went to God three times. God, remove it. It doesn't feel good. God, I don't like my circumstance. God, I just don't like the circumstances I'm living. Could you just move the thorn out? And three times the apostle Paul prayed and asked God to take the thorn out. But we know God did not. But what did he tell them? 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Watch this. There's not only saving grace, Paul found that it's a strengthening grace. He says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, God, I don't know if I can go on with this thorn. He says, watch this. My grace will be the bridge that gets you where you need to be with the thorn still there. Why? Because grace is a strengthening grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, the apostle Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul went from being a Christian killer to being one who presented and preached the gospel like none other. How did he do that? Through grace. Now, this is why you need to see this this morning. Through Christ, I have access to what I need to be what I need to be. Through Christ, I have access to grace, and it's grace that makes me what I need to be. Do you know what that gives you? It gives you certainty. That there's no circumstance I'm going to face. Watch this. No circumstance. Why? Because he says, my grace is sufficient. The grace of God is sufficient to get me from where I am to where I need to be. It doesn't matter this morning. A physical ailment, God's grace is sufficient. Maybe, listen, it's a psychological problem. God's grace is sufficient. Maybe this morning someone hurts you and you're bitter and you have emotional damage. Hey, listen, there's a lot of people going through a lot of stuff and I don't have all the answers for it, but I can tell you grace is sufficient. Grace will get you from where you're at to where you need. Now, what does that do for you? It gives you certainty. There's nothing the devil can throw at you that the grace of God can't get you through. Think about that. There's nothing you're going to face in this life. A physical ailment, a heartache, oh, the death of a child, a cancer diagnosis. Listen, you'll find the grace of God is sufficient. And that ought to, listen, that ought to turn you into a Christian bulldozer. You know, like some of these young people driving. You just run over whatever's in front of you. The devil comes and plants a big oak tree of doubt in front of you. You, listen, you just drop it in low. Keep on going. Why? Because you have a promise from Almighty God that his grace is sufficient. Listen, you have access to what you need to become what God's called you to be. Nothing should stop you. You ought to serve with certainty. Now, wait a minute. You say, Brother Jeremiah, you don't understand. We've gone through a tough, tough time the last 18 months we have. These people were being burned alive. They were being burned alive. Families being separated. They were taking the skins of of animals, of deer and of cows, and they were wrapping them around them and, and fashioning to them where they couldn't get them off and then putting them in the arena for sport to watch dogs maul them. And oh, listen, I can imagine the tough, the tough, tough feelings they were having of doubt, the temptations they were having to fear. But I know one thing. Grace was sufficient. 
The Bible says, watch verse 2, by whom, through Christ, we have access by faith into this grace, saving grace, strengthening grace, sanctifying grace. Through Christ, you have access to what you need for what God's called you to be. That'll give you certainty. Paul knew there was nothing he was going to face that he couldn't get through by the grace of God. I think about sometimes we'll go have a, have a tough day and have a pity party. You ever do that? I know you don't because you're more mature than that, but boy, I can have a good one. I'll get quiet, my lip will be dragging, my wife will ask me what's wrong, and I'll say nothing 15 times. 16 is the magic number. One day she's going to figure that out. 16, when she finally asks that 16th time, I'm going to tell her the truth. Having a bad day, a tough time. And I'm standing here on the edge of this cliff thinking there's no way, listen, there's just no way I can get up and preach tomorrow having a tough day. No way I could go out and go soul winning today. Just can't do it. There's just no way that I can get there. And then lo and behold... When I think the bridge is out, the grace of God is sufficient to get me to where I need to be. And I can just keep serving with certainty. Why? Because I have access into this grace. Hebrews 4.15, read this when you get home. I'll read it to you now. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our iniquities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Listen close. The Bible says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You know what in a time of need means? Any circumstance. When you come to a circumstance where you're needing help, the Bible says, listen, you charge the throne of grace. Listen, you go to Almighty God and you'll find that grace is sufficient. Now, watch this. I love this part. Notice the word he uses in verse 2. We have what? Access. You see, before you got saved, you couldn't access grace. It was off limits. You were dead in your trespasses and sins just like I was. Dead people don't have access to a whole lot, right? Here we are, the inability to save ourselves, the inability to have hope, the inability to have peace, inability to have strength. And the Bible says, watch this, that God in his loving kindness sent his only begotten son to live a sinless life. The Bible says he was nailed on a cross and as he hung there paying for your sin debt in mine, the Bible says he said some very important words. It is finished. It is finished. Do you know what you're saying? The bridge is finished. You don't have to go around. The bridge is finished. The Bible says that when he says the bridge is finished, it is finished. The Bible says the veil of the temple was rent. The veil is what separated us from that holy place to approach Almighty God. It was what separated us from that throne of grace. And when that veil was rent, now you and I have access to the throne room of God where we can find grace for whatever circumstance we're going to face. That's why you ought to have certainty. Listen, the reason you don't have certainty this morning, number one, is either you're not accepted of God, you haven't been saved yet, or you're saved and you're looking to yourself to be all that you need to be for what God's called you to do. Oh, we are incapable. John 15, the Bible says, without him, we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. But through grace, we can do everything. I read a story once about a zoo attendant went into the wildcat cage. A man was there visiting the zoo with his grandchildren and watched the gentleman walk into this wildcat cage. He walked in with no gun, no taser, no spray, no nothing, just a broom and a dustpan. He walks in, and the cat all of a sudden puts his back up in the air and begins to snarl and hiss at the man. And the, the, the guy at the zoo with his grandkids just knew he's fixing to, get to watch this guy get eat. You know, so he did what everybody would do. He had his cell phone going, videoing it. Guy walks in and he's, you know, cleaning up the cage, cleaning up the cage. And 
Finally, the man walks out, closes the door, and he says, I got to go talk to that guy. He goes over and talks to the gentleman. He says, weren't you afraid? You went in there with that wildcat. You know, he could have ate you and shredded you. And all of a sudden, the zoo attendant begins to laugh. He says, oh, no. He said, I was never in any harm. He says, why? He says, well, that cat is old and has lost all of its teeth. And he can't do anything but gum me. He said, it might be a little uncomfortable, but he can't knock me out. He can't kill me. And, well, I thought about that this morning. How many times does the devil send his wild cats and they back us into a corner And we're afraid to serve God. We're afraid to live a separated life. We're afraid to go soul winning. We're afraid to witness to somebody. Why? Because the devil just sends those wild cats. But what we don't know is that by the grace of God, God's pulled all their teeth. They can't stop us. They can't turn us back. The devil, listen to me, he only has the power you give him. Why? Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You have access to that bridge that will carry you right over those wild cats that keep you from serving God. Number one. You've got to have the acceptance of God. Number two, notice the access of grace. Oh, you could have assurance if you just had the access to grace. Number three, look down at verse three. The Bible says, and not only so, oh, this one gets tough. The Bible says, but we glory in tribulations. You're thinking there, the apostle Paul has lost his mind. We glory in tribulations. But here's, here's what you've got to see this morning. Look at verse three. We glory in tribulations also. That next word, I'd underline that one knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Now, here's what's neat. This is what happens when you get a hold of grace. Watch what grace does for you. When you know that God's grace is sufficient for whatever you're going to face, all of a sudden it gives you an assurance. That's that word knowing. The word know means you have an assurance of something. What is the assurance, the Bible says? The Bible says we have the assurance that we can glory in tribulations. That's number three. Notice the assurance of glory. The assurance of glory. Can I ask you this? How much confidence would you have? How much certainty would you have if you knew that by the grace of God, whatever you faced, God could use it for his glory? Nothing could back you down. You go to the doctor. It's just a, I mean, beyond COVID, the last few weeks heard a lot of, of cases of that. But cancer about cancer, folks just getting diagnosed, young people getting diagnosed, people going home to be with the Lord with cancer. And you're thinking there's no way that cancer could be good. I'm just going to quit serving God. I got a cancer diagnosis. I can't get past that. The doctor says it's terminal. Now watch, cancer is terminal and can be terminal, but the grace of God is eternal. Remember this. So here you are, you get diagnosed, and all of a sudden you're tempted to quit on God because of a cancer diagnosis. You're thinking, you know what, I just, I can't overcome this. But wait a minute, the Bible says that we glory. Why? The grace of God gives us an assurance of glory. Here's what's amazing. Grace has unique power of changing our grief into our growth for God's glory. All right? Grace has the power. The grace of God is sufficient. It can take whatever grief you're going through or whatever grief you face, and it converts it into our growth for the glory of God. Now, let me tell you something. That helps you face troubles tomorrow a little bit better, doesn't it? Knowing that whatever I run into, no matter how difficult, no matter how unsavory the circumstances may be, that listen, as a child of God that's in the will of God, if I come to a Red Sea, watch this, I'm going to grow to his glory. Can you imagine Moses coming to that Red Sea? I'll be honest with you. My opinion is he probably sweated a little bit. Uh, listen, I know what it's like. 
Uh, sometimes I look out at a sea of people that don't want to smile, and that's worse than a Red Sea. And you're looking out there, nobody's smiling. You're thinking, Lord, you got to do something. Say, God, all right, I'm just going to preach what you say, preach. And if they never smile, that's all right. Why? Because I want your acceptance more than people's acceptance. And so we just stand still and we watch what God wants to do. And oh, when God parts a Red Sea, it's to his glory. So you have an assurance tomorrow. God forbid a diagnosis or a death. God forbid that. God forbid we have a split tomorrow. Some of you might be sitting here this morning thinking, yep, it's going to be me. You just wait. God forbid Baptist City burn down tomorrow. I have an assurance that his grace is so sufficient, it can take my grief, turn it into my growth for his glory. And you know what? All of a sudden, the devil's booger monsters don't look so scary anymore. Why? Because God can even use them for his glory. Oftentimes, Satan will use our circumstances to cause us to doubt, doesn't he? I think all of us have probably wondered where God is at least one time in our Christian walk. God, where are you at? I know dozens of times I have wondered where, what God was doing. Say, God, I'm not going to charge you foolishly, but what are you doing? God, this is going on in my life and my family. I've got this trouble, this confusion in my heart. Or maybe church members don't like me and all of this stuff. God, what are you doing? There's oftentimes I've wondered what God was doing. And those inhospitable circumstances cause us to doubt. But watch this. They'll only make you doubt if you let the devil use them. If you let God use them, watch. He'll take your circumstances and use it to develop. The devil wants you to doubt through your circumstances. God wants you to develop through your circumstances. And we have a promise from Almighty God that we can glory in tribulations. Why? Because we have an assurance. We know something. We know something. The devil comes along and gives you a flat tire. And oh, he's, ah, you know, he's so excited. I'm causing him to have a bad day. Or he sends a coworker that slept on the wrong side of the bed who's mad at their spouse that works beside you to ruin your day. And they gripe and complain the whole day long. The devil's sitting back thinking, boy, I'm getting to him. I'm getting to him. What he has no idea is God can use that for my good and his glory. That I can glory in tribulations regardless what comes my way, and that gives me certainty in my service. We quote it often and we post it, but I wonder, do we really believe Romans 8, 28? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God can make all things work together for good. God says, look, I know you're looking at a, oh my goodness, we, several years ago, Sunday morning of Father's Day, I guess about three or four years ago, came to church, we were in Louisiana. Family comes in and says, we gotta pray for our nephew, Justin. And I said, what's the matter? Justin was a little baby at the time, what, six months old maybe? Um, three months old. So he woke up this morning and had these splotches on his arm, just suddenly splotches on his arm. And so take him to the hospital. So they took him to the Monroe Hospital. Monroe says, send him to Baton Rouge. Baton Rouge says, something's bad wrong. Send him to St. Jude's. Got to St. Jude's and found that he had childhood cancer. Oh, it was horrible. I don't know how many weeks and months we would go back and forth to St. Jude's, back and forth, sitting the little baby there with the feeding tube up his nose. And I mean, it was just horrible. Little baby sitting there, his skin just fried because of the chemotherapy that he had. I mean, it's just horrible, horrible, horrible. Walking up down the hallway, seeing those little kids with cancer. Oh, it just makes you kind of doubt a little bit. God, why them? Why not some of those folks that are the child molesters? God, why the murder? Why not them? Why, why, these, why these little kids? But oh, listen, 
I can have an assurance as a child of God that whatever comes my way, that God can take it and work it for his good, my good and for his glory. God can do that. There's nothing that can derail your walk with God unless you let it. Why don't you just trust God that, God, I'm going to let you take this trial I'm going through, and you take it, and it's my grief, but you're going to make it to my good, and it's going to be for your glory. You remember back in the 80s, there was a TV show. Some of you weren't around for the 80s, but uh, there's a TV show called MacGyver. Y'all remember that one? I watched it a few times as a kid. And old MacGyver was always getting caught by the bad guy, and they would always put him over in the jail and have him tied up somewhere. And, but I never worried. Oh, no. This may be the end of MacGyver. This is it. The show is over. Oh, my favorite show is over. He's going to die. Look, if I felt that way, it would, listen, I would have been, I would just been in, in depression every episode. Why? He got caught every episode. He got tied up, and he's sitting in this concrete room with just a paper clip and some bubble gum. Next thing you know, he's made a plastic explosive that blows the roof off the place and turned into a hang glider, and he flies away. You just knew. I wasn't sitting there on the edge of my seat. Oh, MacGyver's going to die. They're going to replace him with some guy who's not even half as good as he is. I didn't worry about it. I knew he was going to figure it out. He'd be sitting there in a jail cell in a South American country, and here comes this cricket hopping by, and he grabs the cricket, breaks off his leg, and he picks the lock, and he gets out. <laughs> it was just brilliant. Watch this. The most exciting part of MacGyver was sitting on the couch waiting to see how he was going to do it. He's going to figure it out somehow. He's going to pull a tooth, turn it to a time bomb. He's going to get out of there. But you knew it was going to happen. Why? Because that's what MacGyver does. He figures it out. He gets out of there. I never doubted. Matter of fact, I looked forward to it because it was going to be a new idea for me to try the next day at my house. Poor crickets. I don't know how many crickets lost their legs. No, just kidding. Don't turn me in. Oh, we're live streaming. That's going to be in trouble. That's the way you ought to be with God. MacGyver's just an actor. He's never got out of one bind, one trouble. God's never lost one that was his. He never lost anybody. You ought to sit there and look. I'm not saying you're not crying. I'm not saying you're not grieving. I'm not saying you're not confused. I'm not saying you're not doubtful at times. But you just sit there and wait to see what God's going to do with it. You say, God, I don't know how you can do anything with this circumstance. I am. There's no way you, this could be good. Why don't you just sit there and trust God? Watch what God could do because the Bible says, verse 3, not only so, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. How much certainty could you serve with if you had an assurance of glory? that God was going to work it for his good, for your good and for his glory. Romans 8, 18, quickly, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul says what I'm going through is nothing compared to what I'm going to become. I assure you this morning, what you're going through is nothing compared to what God's going to do with it if you'll just trust him. And I'll give you this before we close. Stephen, Acts chapter 7 one of the first martyrs of the church. Stephen preaching the word of God. It was not accepted. They began throwing rocks at him. That's yet to happen at me, okay? I did have a lady once who let her dog bite me when I was out door knocking, but I never had anybody throw rocks at me. They start throwing rocks at him, throwing rocks at him, cast him out of the city, start beating him down. They are literally going to beat his brains out until he's dead. 
And old Stephen just gets a bad attitude, don't he? Gets mad. God, why are you letting this happen? God, I don't like any of this. Oh, no, 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 no. The Bible says even as he went through the execution that Peter asked God to forgive him. I mean, Stephen asked God to forgive him. He looked up into heaven. The Bible says when he looked upon his countenance, like looking on the countenance of an angel, and he gave up the ghost. He was Christ-like until his last breath. Where do you get that kind of certainty? He had an assurance of glory. He knew that even what he was going through was going to be for his good and God's glory. You say, well, what was that? Let me read you one verse, and I'm going to close. Acts 11, 19. The Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phinehas and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word. All of a sudden, Stephen dies. Everybody's, they're gone. I'm not hanging around here. That's where Christians get killed. And they scatter. But watch what they did as they scattered. The Bible says they preached the word. Who would have ever thought the execution of a good man could be anything good? But all the people that ran from that planted churches and preached the word of God. You see, it was for good and for God's glory. Now, folks, imagine what you could face tomorrow. Imagine how much certainty you could have if, number one, you had the acceptance of God. The world may not like it, but I'm pleasing my Father. And no matter what they say, he's the only one that counts. I wonder what kind of certainty you'd have tomorrow in your service if you just realize that through Christ you have an access to grace. I have access to what I need to do whatever God calls me to do tomorrow. I have access to that. Nothing can stop me. Maybe you need the assurance of of glory that God's going to use what you're going through. As I close this morning, I want to skip down and read one thing for you in verse 5. Watch this. And hope maketh not ashamed. You ever hoped in something and it let you down? Maybe me, possibly. Maybe a loved one, maybe a spouse, maybe a friend, a co-worker. Maybe the government, I don't know. Ever let you down? Tax return comes in, it's not a return. Man, you get let down. You had hoped in something that didn't happen. Watch this. The Bible says the hope that we have maketh not ashamed. It means it's not going to let us down. It's not going to let us down. If I could give you number four, it'd be this. When you have the acceptance of God, access to grace, and the assurance of glory, you'll find yourself anchored for good. Anchored for good. Knowing he's not going to let me down. I'm not going to be ashamed. You're not going to make me feel bad for doing what the will of God in my life. Listen, why? He's not going to let me down. Hope maketh not ashamed. I'm not going to be ashamed of what I'm going through. I'm not going to recoil from it. Why? Because I know it's going to be for good. The Bible says that. I have the word of God on it. This morning, can I ask you something? Do you have certainty for any circumstance? Somebody's going to have a bad day tomorrow. Somebody in this room is going to have a bad day tomorrow. I sure hope it's not me, but it's possible, probable. Somebody may get a diagnosis tomorrow. Somebody may get the dreaded phone call that a loved one is gone tomorrow. Somebody's going to face some unfavorable circumstances tomorrow. Can I ask you, do you have enough certainty to get you through any circumstance? Do you have it? You could, but it's only through Jesus Christ, verse 1. We're justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
you could have this morning, let that acceptance of God, that access of grace, that assurance of glory, and you could be anchored for good. But the question is this morning, will you receive it? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's stand to our feet.